This morning's scripture reading will be coming out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Again, Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. And it reads, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I know that a, uh, a welcome has already been extended to you if you are visiting with us. For our college students, uh, we look forward to this time all throughout the summer for you guys to come back and uh, continue to be part of the family here. I know a lot of uh, our members here have been praying for you and continue to pray for you as you are starting this journey. If you are returning back, as you are still working through classes, but if you're a freshman, uh, we hope that you find out uh, what the body of Christ is here at Dalreda and what family really looks like. Once again, I appreciate you guys for making this place so comfortable and welcoming to our students that come from all over the place and looking for a place where they can worship God together with the church. And so how awesome is that, that we get to be here today to worship God, knowing that on this day, many years ago, Jesus was raised from the dead and that he gives us hope. And it's because of that hope that we continue to sing and we continue to study and strengthen ourselves through God and his word. Before we study together... Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you so much for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us in more ways than we can uh, even count or even recognize. Help us to have wisdom and clarity of thought and clarity of sight so that we can see your blessings all around us, so that we can continue to trust you. God, you've given us ample amount of information to know that we are able to trust you because you are the creator of heaven and earth. You are the preparer, the sustainer. You are our strength and our shield. Be with us as we go into this time of study. Help us to write it on our hearts so that we may share it with others. We love you so much, God. We praise to you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So we are continuing a study thinking about we are Israel. Jeremy did a great job starting this series off for us last week. And as we are continuing this, studying uh, over the next few uh, opportunities that we have to look at God's Word, this is one of them in line. So we think about we are Israel, and what a powerful message this is when we think about what Israel did. You know, we have a message from God. And God has continually shown His message to His people over and over again in many different ways. And we, as God's people today, look at that message that was shared, and we are making a decision as we are trying to serve God through the midst of whatever he has presented to us. As we look at this study about we are Israel, what begins to come to your mind? We had this start over uh, last week as we thought about Abraham being called out. And that call that he received mimics in some way our call to the gospel. That God has laid out his plan, this good news for which we are supposed to dedicate ourselves but sometimes we get hung up. Sometimes there are things that distract us and, and we have to figure out what are we going to do with this. But nonetheless, we have been called. And our reaction to God 
is on the same, uh, same plane as what Israel did. They had this opportunity to follow God wherever He would lead, but we find some issues along the way. And what we're going to be studying today is right in line with that. We're going to continue the focus on Abraham. This uh, lesson with the previous one, look at Abraham as a foundation for understanding the Israelites and where they began. And where we'll be looking next week, as Giff is going to present a lesson to us, is uh, the time where they uh, are receiving God's laws. They are in the wilderness, and we'll learn more about that later. But I want to begin, of course, with the New Testament and look back, and, and then we'll draw some conclusions from Abraham and his life. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at a few phrases in Matthew chapter 3, but also in John chapter 8. And so if you want to think about flipping over there in just a little bit. Here's how some of these interactions go. You look at Israel as a nation, and they have some issues. When they first began with Abraham, that we're going to be seeing in a moment, they continued the struggle with this. And it's right there in front of our face when Jesus comes on the scene where we see the same old troubles. And it's going to happen as we continue to look at the church as well. There's a lot of great things to derive from it, but there's also some issues that we run into. And I think this is interesting. As John the Baptist, as he is uh, presenting the way to Jesus, he's leading this and he's preparing these paths and he's preaching to people and he's out in the wilderness and he looks like Elijah. He's dressed like him. He says some things that are similar to him. He comes in the same path. And people are coming and they're wanting to know a little bit more about, all right, John, what are you preaching? Because people are coming out to him to be baptized. And there's this group of people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and other religious leaders, they're coming out and they're wanting to know a little bit more about what is John doing. He tells them in, uh, in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with a repentance. He tells them, look, you've got to change you got to do something with your life. But I, I find this to be an interesting connection to them and what they were missing. He says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. See, the Israelites, they look to Abraham as the father of faith. And we should too. There are a lot of things about Abraham, as we have read in Hebrews chapter 11, that his faith led him to places that he didn't even know were coming. And that is powerful. And he is the father of faith. And we see his faith and its, uh, and its correlation to righteousness. And, and as John the Baptist is looking at these religious leaders and he's saying, look, you can say that you're part of Abraham. But there's something about saying that you're like Abraham that you need to follow through with. And it takes action. He's saying, we have Abraham as our father. But John says, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. A little bit of an insult, poking them just a little bit. He's like, all right, if you really think that you're special and you're saying that you belong to Abraham and that you come in this line of faith, do you see what is plainly in front of you right now? You see, Jesus literally was coming on the scene. And as John is preparing this path, getting to Jesus, he's already giving them some precursors and telling them, look, the truth is about to stand right in front of you. And if you're saying that you're of Abraham and you come through this lineage of faith and you're ready to depend on God and do what He tells you to do, then you're going to see very plainly that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But John knew some of the issues that were coming. He said, look, Abraham is important. But understand this about God. He is able to do something greater. He said, look, how important are you guys? Or how special do you think you are? Compare yourselves to stones. Are you standing out any different? 
So this is John the Baptist kind of prepping the way as he does. But I want to dig in a little bit more and look at it from Jesus' perspective in John chapter 8. So we continue in this theme of thinking about we are Israel. Let's look at a time where Jesus speaks about these things. In John chapter 8, if you want to uh, follow along, just make a little notation here. Look at how many times that Jesus talks about Abraham. He's going to use Abraham as a foundation to talk about faith that points to him as the Son of God. And there's some good, uh, good teaching moments for us from it, but I want, to, I want to look at just a few verses from here before we go back and actually see what Abraham has to say to us. In John chapter 8, maybe you're familiar with Jesus talking about the truth setting people free. And the, these religious leaders are coming, they're like, look, we want to be free, we want to know what truth is, show us the way, we know who Abraham is, that he set the, the, the tone for faith. But look at verse 37 as Jesus speaks to them. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Look, you can trace your lineage back. You can go back and you can know what tribe you came from. And you can go and say, look, we belong to him because we are Israel. Said, oh, you're able to do these things. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Just because you can trace yourself to Israel, just because you can trace yourself to the foundations of faith doesn't mean that it all clicks for you. Just because you know that you're a Jew, as he's speaking to him here, doesn't mean that you have taken root with faith. He continues to say to them a few verses down for us. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. That's plain and simple. If you say that you're of Abraham and you know that he stands out uniquely because of his faith and how that caused him to act, and if you say that you're of him, then what are you doing? You should look like him, but it must be the case as Jesus is speaking to him, he's like, you don't look anything like Abraham. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. You see, John the Baptist was a witness to the light. He prepped us to see Jesus. When they actually see Jesus standing in front of them, it's not all clicking. It's not all making sense. And he's saying, I'm coming to you preaching truth, showing you truth, showing the Word of God, and you seek to kill me. And they will continue to do that over and over again. Continue reading in verse 40. This is not what Abraham did. This is not what Abraham did. You see, Abraham is very important. Not just because if you were a Jew and you're wanting to have that lineage all laid out and know where you come from, that, that's important as well for them in that time. But we'll find that Paul later on, he'll say, you know, don't worry about these endless genealogies. Where do we connect to Christ? We are children of God. Heirs according to the promise that Christ laid down for us if we would just be with Christ, in Christ, united with Him. So Jesus is speaking these things, and we're thinking about we are Israel. You see, the problem with Israel is that they didn't see the truth standing right in front of them. And the truth really didn't set into their hearts and their minds and their soul. They did not allow it to make a change. They were really blinded from it. The roots didn't cut down deep enough in their life and what John would say, if you continue reading back in Matthew chapter 3, he says the axe is laid to the root. 
If you're not going to get all these things, you're not going to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and actually give your life over to it. There is a judgment that's coming. So as we read in Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham in verses 9 through 10, look at what it says about him one more time. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What we're going to be looking at with Abraham is his time in the promised land and some of the other places close to that. We know that he was called out. We know that he began this journey with God, but along that journey, along that process, he had, to, he had a really big, you know, steep learning curve. And what we find about him is that he was really torn between some decisions. He was torn in his inner being. He was torn in some things that uh, were happening around him. But by definition, if you look at Abraham, he's the father of faith because he was looking forward to something more. As we follow Abraham on a journey, you will find a consistent factor in his life that he was looking to God. But along those ways, he was trying to figure out, how does this really line up in application to my life? If God says that he's going to give me a child, to what extent is that going to happen? Is it going to be my my own planning or or is it God's planning? Am I going to take the situation in my own hands or am I going to let God do all of this? How is this all going to work out? He may have had his sight set on the future with God, but he didn't really know what that looked like. And I dare say that we are the same way when we look at our relationship to God. We can point to certain promises. We can point to certain things that God says he'll do for us. And we have to ask, are, are we really all in with it or not? If you keep reading in verse 13, it talks about Sarah for a little while, but it comes back to verse 13 about those people, those descendants that Abraham had that lived in this land. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Man, there's so many just rich correlations here with the history of Israel and and the city that they thought they would be looking for, they thought it was going to be Jerusalem with a temple that was going to be there and all of its magnificence uh, from Solomon and uh, how they prepared it over time. But you look past that and we continue to look past that and we're looking to a city that is not made with men's hands. Although Abraham spent his time in the promised land, he was looking forward to another promise that was further down the road. You see... If we will set our sights just a little bit higher, hopefully maybe more uh, high than we have been at all, if we will set our sights on God, He will take us places in life that we can't even imagine or even think about. So how does all this relate to Abraham and how can we learn from him? I want to draw some uh, conclusions from him and his story. And really what it's all going to revolve around is that we are torn. 
You see, when we have to make decisions and when there are opportunities in front of us that we're torn back and forth, maybe asunder even within ourselves about what should we do. If you'll recall, uh, a month or so ago, we looked at some decisions that Abraham made with his nephew Lot. So just uh, as a little bit of a reference, you can go back and watch that lesson and see some of the things that Abraham did specifically with Lot. And some of that is going to cross over to where we are and what we're looking at in this series and where we are this morning. You see, we're torn when we have to make decisions. Anytime we're presented with a big decision in life, how do we calculate the cost of it? As I think about Abraham, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, 13 and 14, I find a, a few big decisions in his life that he had to weigh out the cost and figure out how to respond to. So we looked at last week, Abraham was called out of his homeland. He was called from his family. And it took a little bit along the way for him to understand really what is involved with that. What's involved when we are called by the gospel to leave our past and search after a new hope, a new future? I think about some other decisions that Abraham was presented with, and, and we're not going to read all these stories, but I want to make reference to them. Think about when Abraham was in Egypt. You know, there was a famine in the land, and so he travels down with his family into Egypt. And while he's there, we find him having to make a decision out of fear. He was worried that, you know, he's looking at his wife, knowing that Sarah was quite beautiful, and that if anybody found out his relationship to her, that he would be killed. So, you know, he lies about, kind of tells a little bit of half-truth, about Sarah and how she is his sister to protect himself and protect them. You know, he made a decision in that moment, and we can go back and forth looking at why he did what he did and how it all panned out, but the result of it was it impacted not only Abraham, but also the Egyptians. If you look into that story in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with many plagues because Sarah was Abraham's wife that he was trying to take for his own. And, and God was going to make sure to show the way and say, look, Abraham, even in those decisions in life, you can't be doing things like this. You have to trust that I will provide for you. Because imagine if Abraham very early in this journey with God would have been killed in Egypt without any children, then God's promise would have failed. You see, Abraham should have had in the back of his mind, if God says that he's going to give me this great nation that's going to come from me, that's going to involve children. I don't have any children, so should I fear death right now? Now, I, now there's a lot that goes into that walk of faith. But if he would start connecting some of these promises, he would know that God's not done yet. Maybe I think about some other decisions that Abraham has faced with his family. You know, as his... Uh, uh, all of his possessions start growing, and Lot, his nephew with him, these start growing. God's providing for them. Eventually, there's some uh, dissensions that happen, and they have to separate. And this is all part of God's plan. Abraham didn't see it in the moment, but all this was leading down the road, Abraham to get to the promised land. Even behind the scenes, he does not realize that God is working when he allows Lot to make a decision about where he's going to plant himself. You know, he tells me, he says, you look at the, uh, the land and, and wherever you go, I'll go the opposite way. So you get to decide. And in the middle of this, Lot is making a decision and, and Abraham thinks that he's making a passive decision about it. But in the midst of it, God is still working. You see, we're torn even in our decisions when we have to make these big decisions. 
Man, what about the journey that Abraham goes on with his child? You know, he takes that into his hands multiple times. He says, look, I have no heir of my household, so it must be Eleazar. He's the closest thing, so he's going to be the one that all the descendants will flow from. And God has to come to him and say, Abraham, no. It's going to come from your actual body. Okay, so a little bit further on, Abraham gets a little older. And he says, look, I don't have any children yet. Sarah's still barren. If it's supposed to come from my body, then how about I just take someone else as my wife? And then uh, he goes into Hagar, and they have Ishmael. So God has to sit down with Abraham again. He said, no, that's not what I meant. Yes, now you have this child from your body, but that is not the child of promise. The child will come from your body and your wife's body. It took many years for Abraham to actually trust that that is what was going to happen. God had laid out all these promises along the way. It just didn't quite make sense. He was learning, all right, how much can I trust this? And, and what does that really involve? And every time that Abraham had to take the situation in his own hands, God would say, put it back into mind. Or maybe about the big culmination in Abraham's life where he's asked to sacrifice that one son. You know, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, and we didn't read the passage about Isaac and that sacrifice, but what do you find about Abraham's faith at that point? He said, even if I were to sacrifice my child, I know that God is able to raise him from the dead. That tells me that he understood at that point, if God has made a promise, and he says that this is the child of promise and that all nations will flow from him, even if he dies, God will raise him up. And so he raised his hand ready to sacrifice. You see, we are torn when we have to make big decisions in life and whatever that may look like. But how is our faith and how is our hope and are our eyes set on something more? Let's keep drawing some conclusions and we'll let this speak to us directly. You see, we're torn when we meet the results of our decisions. If you were to go back through each one of those things that Abraham did, you'll find some consequences. What's the consequence of him taking a little bit of extra time coming out of Haran with his father Terah? So we talked about that last week. What are the consequences of his actions when he didn't really understand that God was going to protect him in Egypt? You had a whole nation and a person that was being plagued because of his decisions. When he made decisions about Abraham and Lot and allowed Lot to make a certain decision, where do we find Lot in the remainder of his life in a place he shouldn't have been? Really, it's caused Abraham to have to go and fight when he could have avoided some battles. Some really difficult conversations with God in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, when we make decisions, there are consequences. And as we are looking at our relationship to God and trying to figure out, all right, what am I going to do? We have to face the decision, but sometimes we have to face the consequences. And not all of the results of Abraham's decisions were bad. And I think about the, the main one when he was willing to offer his son Isaac. What is the end of that story? When Abraham raises his hand to, to sacrifice his one child, what does God do? He provides. You see, Abraham was willing to go by faith and do what God asked him to do. And the result of him living by faith 
is that God will provide. Do we really trust that God will provide in our lives? When he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, do we actually believe that? Or do we not? When he says that I will provide for you, I will take care of you, do we believe that or not? I think sometimes we lose sight because we're too focused on the material part of the world instead of the spiritual things that He's willing to give us and readily gives us. I think we can draw another conclusion from Him. You see, we are torn when we do not know what the future holds. In each one of those decisions that Abraham was faced with, he didn't know what was going to be on the other end. As Jeremy said, that he was called into the unknown. But each one of those decisions, and even beyond the consequences, he didn't know what was going to be on the other end. He had faith to know that God was going to help along the way, but he still could not have imagined that he would look over and he would find a lamb, a ram caught in the thicket. He knew that God was able to raise him from the dead, but what exactly does that look like? We don't get a full picture of something like that until Jesus is standing right in front of us raised from the dead, that we understand what God is able to do. I think that, along with those verses that we read in Matthew chapter 3 and John chapter 8, is exactly what Jesus was bringing to the forefront of our minds. When the truth is standing right in front of us, what will we do with Jesus? Do we really believe that God raised Him from the dead? Because if we believe that, then we're going to want to hold on to it with everything that is in our being. So as I think about some of the the things that Abraham went through, some of his decisions, the results of his actions, and the future hope of this city that he was looking for, I want to turn it in on us today. As we're looking at this theme that we are Israel, how does this really impact us? You see, if Abraham had known the promise, he would be able to put his roots down and know what was to come from it. If we really trust that God will provide all things for us for a future hope in Jesus. We are torn when we don't allow our roots to dig deep. Think about this for a moment. When you think about a tree, when you think about a plant that has roots, it begins as a little seed that you plant in the ground, you water, and eventually the little tendrils come out of it that look like hairs that, that start getting into the ground. And the more that it grows, the more that those roots start expanding and digging further in. You know, there's certain trees that only allow their roots to be surface level. It's one of the terrifying things about our neighborhood in Dalreda is that pine trees, that their roots are on top of the ground. If you've ever seen a pine tree topple over, what does the root system look like? It goes all over the place, but it's very shallow. When I think about our connection with God and really understanding what He is telling us, how shallow are our roots? How developed are they? If we made the decision, you know what, I'm going to give my life over to God. I'm going to leave the, the, the past of sin, and now I want to be identified with Christ. Are we actually growing and allowing our roots to expand? You know, there's a lot of parables about this. There's a lot of parables that talk about faith beginning and the kingdom of heaven being correlated to maybe something small that then grows into something big. If we gauge ourselves, do we find that we are shallow Christians? And here's what a shallow Christian looks like. It's easily tossed to and fro. We read verses about that, of being tossed to and fro, but what does that mean? We're tossed to and fro maybe if somebody comes preaching something that 
sounds a little different, maybe offers something a little strange. You know, we're not blind and we're not ignorant to the religious landscape that permeates our world around us in our society. We see there are different religious groups that are teaching different things. And we have to ask, what does the Scriptures really say? What do the Scriptures really say? Because if I'm going to be tossed to and fro, if somebody's preaching something different, I might just follow after that. If I have shallow roots, am I really going to listen to truth or not? Or I'm going to go listen to something that just sounds good to me, that tickles my ear. We can be tossed to and fro. We can be easily persuaded. Somebody can sit down and they can show us another verse and we think that it contradicts what we've been following our entire life. And and maybe we say, well, that sounds good. I'll just follow that. Someone that has shallow roots is easily persuaded. I think another danger of shallow roots is that maybe you're thrown off track by trivial skirmishes. Now, I understand there are big spiritual battles that we go through in our life that, that we have to confront, but the little skirmishes around us, maybe some problems within the church, maybe some arguments that happen, things like that can turn somebody from Christianity, but really if we are setting our roots and allowing them to dig deeper, we will seek answers from God on how to handle that. But we have to put our roots down. And not be persuaded by things that don't line up with God. Here's another one. We are torn when we do not pull in nourishment. One of the the benefits of these roots that dig down is that they pull in nourishment and, and they help strengthen the plant so that it can continue to grow. If our roots dig deeper, it will be pulling in nourishment. But here's the thing. I can poison a plant. I can put certain things in the soil that will allow those roots to pull that in and cause it to shrivel and to die. You see, we are pulling in things around us left and right. But what are we bringing into our lives? You see, sin seems like it is appetizing. Sin looks like it's able to provide nourishment to us, but really it's infecting us. A little bit of leaven leavens a whole lump. If we allow sin to come into our lives, it will eventually offer false nourishment and the plant will die. We have to know what is healthy. You see, when Jesus was speaking to the the religious leaders and He was telling them, you don't look like Abraham because if He knew what Abraham was all about, he He would spot truth and say, that's what I'm going to follow. And he had to learn what that looked like. And as we are learning and we are being nourished and we're studying God's Word and we're praying, we're being encouragement to each other, we're looking for that. We should be able to recognize it and say, I need more of it. What if Abraham just threw his hands up and he said, I'm not going to talk to God again. I'm not going to listen to any advice He gives me. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. What if, he never talked to, uh, what if Abraham never talked to God, never paid attention to Him after the initial call? Where would Abraham be? I don't even want to venture to guess. But I might be able to negate some of those stories. You see, we have to pull in the right kind of nourishment. A lack of nourishment will call even solid roots to shrivel. There is no time where we can give up. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. If you stop pedaling, you may be able to coast for just a little while. But what's going to happen? You'll eventually fall. Some of us in our religious life, in our Christianity, that we're just coasting. We peddled for a little while. We've given up. 
And we think that we can just keep coasting and that's going to provide nourishment to our life. But a true spiritual life uh, dedicated to God will pull in the right kind of nourishment. And here's the last thing. We are torn when we do not take root in the church. How important is the church to you? How important is the church? You know, Jesus said, I died for it. I treated it as my own. You see, the church is not just something that's over there and something that we come to periodically. We are the church. When we are nourished, the church will be nourished. When we allow poison to come into our lives, we're allowing that to start seeping in. And it needs to be handled correctly. You see, if we're not tapped into the church, if we're not really part of this body, we're not going to grow. That's one of the the greatest dangers, just to speak bluntly, about our students in college, is that there's so many things that are happening in that time frame, in that uh, point of life, that we can get distracted by. But the church has to be that staple. You can't be tossed to and fro by what other people are teaching. You need to stay directly to the source, which is Jesus. We can't just think that the church is something that we can do periodically when they offer the right thing to us. No, it is our life and we're willing to die for it. Can you do without the church? If you said today, you know what, if I never step foot back in this building and never see these people, I'm just as good without them. I think maybe we misunderstand what the church is all about. I dare say that we know for a fact that you are misunderstanding what the church is about. See, we have to hold each other accountable. If the church isn't growing, then that's on us. God will continue to hold up His promises, but what will we do with our eyes set on Him? As Abraham began his journey, he had to keep staying on track. And what we find out about the Israelites over time is that they lost sight of God. They allowed those decisions to tear them apart and they went the wrong way. They allowed uh, the results of their decisions to scare them and they ran the other way. They allowed the future and not knowing what it holds that they were afraid of that so they ran the other way. They didn't tap into God. They didn't grow. Let's not make that like us. Are you growing today? Have you allowed your roots to sink into Christ? Or have you allowed something to come in that's not giving you strength? Are you hurting? Spiritually. Can we help? Can we study? Can we pray? Can we just talk? We go into the time of our invitation where, you know, we, we're going to say, in just a moment, I'm going to say, if anybody needs anything, you come as we stand, as we sing. And, and those times go by. And that's fine, but we all respond to, to God. And you are making a decision, even in your pew, what will you do with what we've studied? But the thing about when we offer that invitation, that it's not just open words that are empty. We actually mean that if you need something, that little walk down the aisle shouldn't bring about embarrassment and shame. It should bring about hope and promise knowing that you have the church willing to hold your hand, wrap an arm around you and say, let's do this together because we're all trying and we're all striving Let's make this possible together.
If you haven't started your journey with Christ and you haven't died to your sins, you can repent of those things. You can be buried in Christ in baptism, have your sins washed away, and rise to walk in the newness of life, knowing that eternal life is waiting for you with your eyes set on a city not prepared by men's hands. You can make that decision right now and have a hope of eternal life. Can we help you as we stand and as we sing?